I think Washington saying, have a great week. This is VOA News. I'm Tommy McNeil. An active duty member of the U.S. Air Force was critically injured after setting himself ablaze outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C., while declaring that he will no longer be complicit in genocide. That is according to a person familiar with the matter who spoke Sunday to the Associated Press on condition of anonymity. The person said that the man walked up to the embassy shortly before 1 p.m. and began live-streaming on video uh, platform Twitch. Law enforcement officials believe the man started a live stream, set his phone down, and then doused himself in an accelerant and ignited the flames. Israel has adamantly denied the genocide allegations and says it's carrying out operations in accordance with international law in the Israel-Hamas war. Vigils took place across the nation for Oklahoma teenager Nex Benedict, who died the day after a fight in a high school bathroom. Benedict was a non-binary student who said that they were in the target of bullying. Vigils were held at locations including Boston, New York, Minneapolis, and Huntington Beach, California over the weekend. Others were held or planned in several U.S. states, including Washington, New Jersey, New York, and Texas. The 16-year-old Benedict got into an altercation with three girls in a high school bathroom. Police say Benedict's death was not a result of injuries suffered in the fight, but based on preliminary autopsy results. Tuvalu's former Attorney General Felitti Teo has been named Prime Minister of the tiny South Pacific nation after elections a month ago ousted the last government leader. Government officials says that Teo was the only candidate nominated by his colleagues in Parliament and was declared elected Monday without a vote. This is VOA News. U.S. President Joe Biden will convene the top four congressional leaders at the White House Tuesday to press lawmakers on passing the emergency aid package for Ukraine and Israel, as well as averting a looming government shutdown next month, according to a White House official. The top four leaders include House Speaker Mike Johnson, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. During the meeting, the president will discuss the urgency of passing the aid package, which has bipartisan support, as well as legislation to keep the federal government operating through the end of September. That's according to the White House official who was granted anonymity to discuss a meeting not yet publicly confirmed. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Sunday that 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed in action in the two years since Russia launched its full-scale invasion. Zelensky said that the number was far lower than estimates given by Russian President Vladimir Putin's government. 31,000 Ukrainian military personnel have been killed in this war, not 300,000, not 150,000, not whatever Putin and his deceitful circle have been lying about, he said. Nevertheless, each of these losses is a great sacrifice for us, Zelensky went on to say. Year 2024 forum in Kiev, the Ukrainian leader said that he wouldn't disclose the number of troops that were wounded or actually missing. Israel's defense minister vowed Sunday to step up attacks on Lebanon's Hezbollah militant group, even if a ceasefire is reached with Hamas in the Gaza Strip. 
Hezbollah, which has been exchanging fire with Israel throughout the war in Gaza, has said it will halt its nearly daily attacks on Israel if a ceasefire is reached in Gaza. But the Israeli Defense Minister, Yoav Gallant, said that anyone who thinks a temporary ceasefire for Gaza will also apply to the northern front is mistaken. He said that they'll continue the fire and they'll do so independently from the south until they achieve their goals. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley says it is not the end of the story despite Donald Trump's easy primary victory in South Carolina, which is her home state. She was a one-time governor there and had long suggested a competitiveness with the former president would show. Defying calls from South Carolina Republicans to exit the race, Haley traveled Sunday to the state of Michigan, which holds its primary on Tuesday. Speaking to a hotel ballroom packed with hundreds of supporters in the less than 24 hours following her Saturday night loss to Trump, Haley's campaign said that she had raised a million dollars from grassroots supporters. I'm Tommy McNeil, BOA News. President Volodymyr Zelensky says 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed in the two years since the Russians invaded. The country is currently living through a tough moment, lacking ammunition and means on the battlefield. ECOWAS says it's lifting some sanctions on Niger. Suspension of all commercial and financial transactions between ECOWAS member states and Niger is to be lifted. And celebrating the American who holds the record for the most time spent in space. You know, I, I think it is the American dream. It really represents the, the fact that we have so many opportunities. Today is Monday, February 26th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I'm Scott Walterman. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says that 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed since Russia invaded two years ago. The anniversary, officially on Saturday, dominated the news from Ukraine over the weekend, as did the urgency of providing Ukraine with the weapons it needs to stop Russian military advances, underscored again in both Europe and the United States. Here's VOA's Veronica Balderas Iglesias. A railway station in Ukraine's Donetsk region was in flames Sunday after reportedly being hit by a Russian-guided bomb. Images also surfaced of a Russian military leader scouting the town of Avdivka, which was taken from Ukrainian control on February 17. Although Ukraine's will is still strong, the resistance needs weapons and fast, warned the country's minister of defense, Rustem Umerov. In the mathematics of war, we look to the enemy. Their economy is almost two trillion. So basically, whatever committed that doesn't come on time, we lose people, we lose Territories. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan appeared on ABC's This Week. He urged Mike Johnson, Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives, to bring the currently stalled $61 billion aid bill for Ukraine up for a vote in Congress. Speaker Johnson, if he put this bill on the floor, 
um, would produce a strong bipartisan majority vote in favor of the aid to Ukraine. We saw that in the Senate. And if we can fill that shortage of bullets, Ukraine will stand up brave and courageous uh, and take the fight to the Russians. Sullivan's remarks came a day after Ukrainians marked the two-year anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of their country. I believe that victory is ours. The whole world is supporting us. If Ukraine loses, it turns out that the whole world will lose against one country. The war has already taken a big toll on the psychological well-being of Ukrainian children, warned UNICEF. Many experience elevated levels of anxiety and disengagement in school. Pope Francis called for an ease of the human suffering during Sunday prayers at the Vatican. I plead for that little bit of humanity to be found that will create the conditions for a diplomatic solution in the search for a just and lasting peace. There was a glimmer of hope when Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky spoke during a news conference about two peace summits that could take place in the coming months. I hope the first summit, the inaugural one, will take place as per today's information in the spring. We cannot afford to lose the diplomatic momentum. It will take place in Switzerland. The second summit we would like to take place somewhere else on the European continent. Any resulting peace blueprint would be presented to the Russian side, although Zelensky acknowledged there's no guarantee that it will be accepted. Veronica Valderas Iglesias, VOA News, Washington. For those in Ukraine on this anniversary weekend, a lot of introspection. Anna Chernikova reports from Kyiv. Two years ago, like millions of Ukrainians, I woke up here in Kyiv to the sound of the first explosions. Before dawn on February 24th, Russian forces launched a full-scale assault, reaching the outskirts of Kyiv in less than 24 hours. Since then, Ukraine has demonstrated incredible resilience. It has had ups and downs on the battlefield, but Ukraine has regained control of 50% of territories occupied by Russia since February 2022. The country is currently living through a tough moment, lacking ammunition and means on the battlefield, waiting for more aid from the international allies. There is a fear Russia is preparing a new assault and will try to occupy more territory. These two years changed the nation's perception of normal life, with constant air raid alerts and shelling becoming an everyday routine. Ten years ago, Ukrainians made their choice in favor of a European future. Now they believe there is no other way than to continue to fight for the country's existence and European values. Anna Chernikova, VOA News, Kyiv. The United Nations says more than 10,000 civilians have been killed and nearly 20,000 others wounded since the start of Russia's invasion. After enduring two years of war, watching communities reduced to rubble and living with the uncertainty of the future, undoubtedly there is a weariness among Ukrainians. Issues in the News host Lori London spoke with Greta Euling, professor at the University of Michigan Center for Russian, East European, 
and Eurasian studies. In the beginning, when this started, people were lining up to serve. We're hearing stories that that's, that's not the case now at all. So is it just people are just afraid now of losing their lives? It's at an inflection point for sure, at least for now. Aid is stalling and there must be some concern for the country's survival. Oh, by all means. By all means. I mean, I think that there's profound concern and as you mentioned, you know, the popularity of the military conscription has fallen precipitously and I think that here again it's important to remember that the people who are fighting, they're saying that they'd rather keep fighting than risk a pause that might enable them to regroup but then they would have to face the prospect of going back to the front yet again you know with another another incursion so I think it's complicated um, I think it's difficult I think that as during the you know the initial full-scale invasion in 2020 to February, the country continues to face an existential crisis. There's no question. There's no question. It's important to remember that the World Bank, USAID, the European Union, European governments, all of these partners are also involved. The attention has been pretty focused on the importance of weapons from the United States that Europeans right. don't have the ability to provide. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the sense of rage and betrayal alongside the weariness is, is good to underscore. Are they feeling sort of betrayed by the United States? Yes, because, you know, the United States, Ukraine will, willingly gave up its nuclear weapons in 1994 under the Budapest Memorandum with security assurances that, you know, the U.S. and Great Britain in particular would rise to their defense in the event of a violation of their state sovereignty. And now the U.S. government is saying, well, maybe not. So that's betrayal. It's political, too. Obviously, the White House has been pushing very, very hard for supporting Ukraine, um, but he can't without congressional approval. Sounds like President Biden may be working on ways around that at this point. Going into year three, is there a sense of what happens if we don't get the support and what happens? Right. I mean, it could be that Russia takes over the country, or it could be that it's a really protracted, gruesome, street-by-street -street fight. There's really no good options unless Ukraine is supplied with the weapons that it needs for a decisive victory that forces Russia to, you know, relinquish captured territory and come to a definitive cessation of hostilities. I don't see a good option without provision of military aid. And so I imagine that mood of outrage and anger, there's probably a deep-rooted collective grief. Yes, every Ukrainian has lost somebody, and every Ukrainian has to wonder what it was for if ultimately the military aid with which they began the counter-offensive trickles out. You know, why did their loved one have to sacrifice their life if it was ultimately just in, you know, part of this failed effort. BOA's Lori London and Greta Euling from the University of Michigan Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies. We're following these other stories from around the world. Polls open Sunday in Belarus's tightly controlled parliamentary and local elections that are set to cement the steely rule of the country's authoritarian leader, Alexander Lukashenko. The voting took place amid calls for a boycott from the opposition, which dismissed the balloting.
as a senseless farce. Lukashenko said he would run again for president in 2025, according to the Belarusian state news agency. Late Nambian president Haje Gangobhu died February 4th, weeks after being diagnosed with cancer, was buried at the Hero's Acre on Sunday. Dear Comrade Gangobhu, you have fought valiantly and consistently without wavering for your family, for the entire Namibia, and the oppressed people throughout this world until your very last breath. Thousands of mourners, including 25 heads of state and former presidents, were in attendance. He was serving his final year in office. A veteran of the country's independence struggle, he lived in exile for 27 years, spending time in Botswana, Zambia, and the United States before returning to Nambia in 1989. Supporters of Jair Bolsonaro gathered Sunday on Sao Paulo's iconic Paulista Avenue to show support for the former far-right Brazilian president as he finds himself embroiled in several investigations that many believe could land him in jail. Bolsonaro called the rally, which he dubbed, quote, a peaceful gathering in favor of the rule of law and our freedom, unquote, after being targeted by a police raid earlier this month as part of a probe into an alleged coup attempt. Former U.S. President Donald Trump won the Republican presidential primary in the southern state of South Carolina on Saturday. An even bigger win than we anticipated. He defeats former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, in her home state where she was governor. But she told supporters her campaign would continue. There are huge numbers of voters in our Republican primaries who were saying they want an alternative. The next big test in the primary season is Super Tuesday in early March when a diverse range of 15 U.S. states and one American territory will award more than a third of the delegates needed for the Republican presidential nomination. ECOWAS, the West African regional bloc, said Saturday would lift strict sanctions on Niger as it seeks a new strategy to dissuade three junta-led states from withdrawing from the political and economic union. Here's Reuters correspondent Alice Rizzo with more. Leaders of the economic community of West African states met to address a political crisis in the coup-hit region that deepened in January with the military-ruled Niger, Burkina Faso and Mali's decision to exit the 15-member bloc. ECOWAS President Omar Toure. Closure of land and air borders between ECOWAS countries and Niger to be lifted. No fly zone of all commercial flights to and from Niger is to be lifted. Suspension of all commercial and financial transactions between ECOWAS member states and Niger is to be lifted. ECOWAS closed borders and imposed the strict measures on Niger last year after soldiers detained President Mohamed Bazoum and set up a transitional government. It was one of a series of recent military takeovers that have exposed the bloc's inability to alter democratic backsliding. 
Sanctions have forced Niger, already one of the world's poorest countries, to slash government spending and default on debt payments of more than $500 million. Touré added that some targeted and political sanctions remained in place for Niger without giving details. The decision to lift sanctions was done for humanitarian reasons, according to the communique. But the move will be seen as a gesture of appeasement as ECOWAS tries to persuade the three junta states to remain in the alliance. Their planned exit would bring a messy disentanglement from the bloc's trade and services flows worth nearly $150 billion a year. ECOWAS said it had lifted certain sanctions on junta-led Guinea, which has not said it wants to leave the bloc, but has not committed to a timeline to return to democratic rule. ECOWAS also imposed sanctions on Mali, although they were lifted in 2022. The three countries have called ECOWAS sanction strategy illegal and grounds for their decision to leave the bloc immediately without abiding by usual withdrawal terms. The three have started cooperating under a pact known as the Alliance of Sahel States and sought to form a confederation. However, it is not clear how closely they plan to align political, economic and security interests as they struggle to contain a decade-old battle with Islamist insurgents. Reuters correspondent Alice Rizzo. International edition continues. I'm Scott Walterman. Israel says it is pushing ahead with plans for a ground invasion in the Gaza town of Rafa to root out Hamas militants, even as mediators work on a new ceasefire deal in the five month war that also calls for the release of more hostages held by Hamas. VOA's Arash Arabasadi has this story. The Israeli army on Sunday released footage of ground explosions said to be the destruction of militant facilities in the Gaza Strip. VOA cannot independently verify the dates or locations of the video. The fighting continues as negotiators from Israel, Egypt, the United States and Qatar, the Hamas intermediary, held talks in Paris to discuss terms of a deal to free what is likely north of 100 remaining hostages in the Palestinian territory. Negotiations remain fluid. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu told CBS News it's not clear whether a ceasefire and hostage deal would materialize from new talks in Qatar. Hamas says Israel has denied its main demands that include an end to the military occupation of Gaza. As thousands joined what's become a weekly rally in Tel Aviv demanding the immediate release of hostages still held by Hamas since its October 7 attack on Israel, police using water cannons dispersed a counter-rally where protesters held signs blaming Netanyahu for October 7. Netanyahu announced plans to convene his cabinet to discuss a push into Rafah that would include evacuating civilians. The United Nations warns more than 600,000 children would be in the path of such an assault. The southern Palestinian city of Rafah is now home to more than 1.4 million people, more than half of Gaza's population, many of them displaced by months of fighting. The United States says a humanitarian plan should accompany a military one for Rafah. 
National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan speaking Sunday on NBC's Meet the Press as carried on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. We're talking about more than a million people who have been pushed into this small space in Gaza because of military operations elsewhere. It's also the area where all of the humanitarian assistance comes into Gaza to serve all of Gaza. And so we've been clear that we do not believe that an operation, a mil major military operation, should proceed in Rafah unless there is a clear and executable plan to protect those civilians, to get them to safety, and to feed, clothe, and house them. The overcrowding in Rafah strains a health care system already on the brink, with as many as four newborn babies sharing one incubator. Arash Arabasadi, VOA News. A U.S. military service member set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington on Sunday afternoon to protest the Israel-Hamas war in Gaza. Emergency medical services posted online that the man was taken to an area hospital after the fire was put out by U.S. Secret Service officers. According to a Metropolitan Police Department spokesman, the man is in critical condition. Hamas is a U.S.-designated terrorist group. And finally, NASA astronaut and Army Colonel Frank Rubio holds the record for the longest U.S. spaceflight. He returned to Earth late last year on a Russian spacecraft after 371 days at the International Space Station. Last week, he was presented with the Army astronaut device awarded to just two other active duty soldiers. VUA Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb shares his story. U.S. Army Colonel Frank Rubio is a doctor and a Black Hawk helicopter pilot who flew more than 600 hours in dangerous combat deployments in Bosnia, Afghanistan, and Iraq. But in 2017, Rubio swapped his helicopter for a rocket ship. Generally, either you wanted to be an astronaut since you were a kid, and that's kind of your dream, uh, or like me, uh, you kind of come to find out about the mission uh, you know, later on in life. Um, and it's a few things where you can say, hey, my job helps represent humanity. Uh, and that's a pretty powerful um, thing to be a part of. He now holds the record for longest space flight by an American, but he certainly wasn't trying to earn that title. Rubio's six-month mission was extended to 371 days after his initial ride home sprung a leak. So the astronaut didn't list becoming the first American to spend more than a year straight in space as one of his highlights. But over those 371 days, he says, highlights were plentiful. Uh, launch, you know, just getting on a rocket and being on top of 300 tons of rocket fuel uh, is, is a pretty incredible feeling. Uh, the spacewalks and the fact that you're out in space in a very uh, small, personal-sized uh, space vehicle is, is pretty incredible. And then re-entry, uh, where you essentially become a meteorite, right? And you have a plasma layer a couple of uh, inches below you uh, because of the heat that's generated. All those things were awesome. Rubio is the son of Salvadoran immigrants, and he credits the Army for giving him the chance to reach for the stars. You know, I, I think it is the American dream. It really represents the, the fact that we have so many opportunities. And again, um, I, I really value the fact that um, it's the opportunity that's given, not the results. And I think if you put in the hard work, if you dedicate yourself uh, and you sacrifice, really almost...
anything is possible. Rubio says he hopes to continue contributing to NASA's mission, both on the ground and one day back in space. Carla Babb, VOA News, the Pentagon. This has been International Edition of The Voice of America. On behalf of everyone here at VOA, thank you so much for being with us. For pictures, stories, videos, and more, follow VOA News on your favorite social media platform and online at voanews.com. In Washington, I'm Scott Walterman. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. In the wake of the death of falsely imprisoned Russian dissident Alexei Navalny and one day before the second anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, United States President Joe Biden announced that he will levy over 500 new sanctions on Russia, escalating pressure on Vladimir Putin. Along with the sanctions, the United States is also imposing export restrictions on some 100 entities for providing backdoor support for Russia's war machine. We are taking action to further reduce Russia's energy revenues, and I've directed my team to strengthen support for civil society, independent media, and those who fight for democracy around the world, said President Biden in a written statement. Ten years ago, Putin occupied Crimea and created puppet regimes in Ukraine's Luhansk and Donetsk regions. Two years ago, he tried to wipe Ukraine off the map. If Putin does not pay the price for his death and destruction, he will keep going. And the cost to the United States, along with our NATO allies and partners in Europe and around the world, will rise, said President Biden. These sanctions will target individuals connected to Navalny's imprisonment, as well as Russia's financial sector, defense industrial base, procurement networks, and sanction evaders across multiple continents. They will ensure Putin pays an even steeper price for his aggression abroad and repression at home. The sanctions, which will be rolled out by the Treasury Department and State Department, represent the single largest tranche since Russia invaded Ukraine. History is watching, said President Biden. The failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will not be forgotten. Now is the time for us to stand along with Ukraine and stand united with our allies and partners. Now is the time to prove that the United States stands up for freedom and bows down to no one. That was an editorial 